Zero hours. Catherine Mather. Ow! Zero hours. Hello and welcome to Zero Hours podcast with me, Catherine Mather, where I talk to comedians and creatives about best and worst jobs they've had to do to get by. Today, I'm joined by comedian and writer Charlie George. Hi, Catherine. Thanks for having me. I love that, like, um, you asked me what my, uh, yeah, what I do and then what my day job is. So, like, comedy and my other thing. And it's so funny because this is the first time in my life that I haven't had 10 million other day jobs. Like, that list has been so long before. But now it is finally writer. And everybody who knows me and has known me, like, embarrass them with awful poetry and scripts and pieces of writing from when I was about 16 is like thank god now she'll shut up like it's done <laughs> she's doing it <laughs> it's so exciting though. it's um in some ways that the pandemic has been good but because pre-pandemic I also had a thousand jobs and it's um it's very much streamlined um that list hasn't it for a lot of people just by destroying all industry that's one way to narrow down your options isn't it like let alone going and sitting with a job center plus advisor you don't need them to narrow down your options anymore you just need um yeah a massive global shutdown to do it but like yeah no I remember you having lots of jobs I remember us getting together and you were working at one point which I was always really envious of and I thought was so cool it was like was it an, an escape room that you worked at yeah I loved that place but I think it still exists just about uh, how yeah, are they doing that right now are they doing things online for people I guess yeah I think they made like an online one but also it was very much um I mean being in a room uh locked in a room uh with in a small confined space <laughs> with lots of other people uh yeah it was just it was designed to to not fit COVID restrictions really wasn't it that yeah but then when you think about the online version I think I have done one of these actually with um one of the writing placements I'm on they had like a team (laughs) like one of those team bonding days and it was like um a murder mystery online and you had to sort of crack codes and stuff and there was different clues and there was basically like an actor in a zoom room which is like so weird um but yeah, I suppose it could transfer easily to that. I mean, you just have to trap everybody on Zoom, which is kind of like what every Zoom meeting is. There was no. Yeah. <laughs> so, are you any? Were you any good at it? Are you any good at escape room? Um, well, this one wasn't an escape room, but I was surprisingly good at like. Um, I mean, it just makes me sound like a creep. But what you had to do was like, they would give you like the name of a person and then all of us were straight away like, oh, quick, find them on Facebook and do this. And it's essentially like we've all stalked an ex. Like that's that's what it was. <laughs> yeah. And so you kind of had to search for clues and then try and guess passwords and stuff based off what they said. And I kind of like to think that I'm... Um, like everybody really I think like to think that I'm a good spy or detective because I've watched a couple of tv shows and yeah. <laughs> felt I've known who the murderer is but like yeah no uh, so tell us about uh, I usually start with the worst jobs but it sounds very exciting tell me about what what you write in tell at the moment the... yeah the job the, so the job I'm doing now yeah because you have some pretty exciting writing credits haven't you and yeah, so at the moment I've been writing um, a lot, a lot of different things. I've been writing for like TV and radio and then um, I'm also working on my own script and a book. So um, <laughs> a lot of different writing things. Um, 
but yeah writing for other people is kind of really fun I find that like um it's really great writing um topical comedy or like it's kind of forcing my joke writing and stuff which is really great but also kind of working in the tone of someone else that's really established because you know them so well I've kind of found that almost easier than trying to write for myself when I'm still figuring out because I'm quite new to stand-up comedy myself like still figuring out what my my voice or my tone or the direction that I want to do stuff in but when you know like an act is really sardonic or they're really kind of dry and they've been going for like 10 years and this is sort of the type of thing that they do it's kind of fun because then you can take different topics and then write write gags that you think would come out of their mouth that they would say so that's been really nice but then also it's lovely because you can let it go and be like well it's their choice of what they pick and if I don't like what I've written <laughs> like I, can, I don't have to worry I don't have to say it so <laughs> yeah that's really satisfying um and yeah my book is about um me and my sister growing up in Swindon in the 90s working class yeah. brown girls with a white mum being evangelical going door to door and being raised really sort of devoutly religious in the Jehovah's Witness faith um so yeah very specific (laughs) yeah I mean that's really what it's about what's been fun writing the book is I'm realizing all the fun sort of 90s and early noughties cringe references of like (laughs) you know the trash music that we listen to terrible ideas about feminism that we had from magazines like um (laughs) and television and um yeah just fun working class activities and games that we used to play so we like we were pre-internet so it was all kind of playing playing games on the street trying to get adults to buy you alcohol stuff like that that's what we did in our spare time (laughs) back back in the good old days back in the good old days you say that (laughs) yeah pre-mobiles but yeah yeah oh that's really interesting so um how have you found like writing that has it been um you know like, has it been personal is it has it been sort of easy to to do or has it been quite a hard thing to, to mind because I know you're saying that you, you found it easier to write for other people so did you sort of have your your voice with the book or yeah no that's been really hard and I think I'm trying to learn a lot from and read a lot of different things and do courses like so I've done some like free courses Colin Grant this amazing writer did a course on like sort of writing memoirs and mine's autobiographical fiction so what's great is I don't have to it's like based in that time period and with those characters but I've changed a lot and kind of I can take the narrative more where I want to go which is really nice and so I think that degree of separation has been good because I do think it is it is hard and it is cringe and I know someone else who's written sort of from her own I mean a lot of people are writing from their own personal experience but there's a really cool Asian writer and she's been writing about her experiences being like a migrant family um, running this chip shop in north the north of England and being some of the only um, uh, you know the only Asian family there and um, she said it talking about points taking care of yourself because yeah I think there's times where you go back into those spaces and you you recollect things and you're like oh god yeah it was really racist and horrible (laughs) and like I'd I'd um and I'm laughing because it's just like that's my defense mechanism and that's why I do comedy and it's like and I realized that oh I spin a lot of that stuff into like but that's just kind of how it was and it was really funny right and then sometimes when you go back to it you're like cool we probably should have been more scared and isn't childhood brilliant that you're not like because you're just like yeah you know you're just oblivious so I think I'm kind of a combination of enjoying it and then sort of trying to lean out and take care of myself at those other moments because I do think that that age and coming of age stories are just really fun aren't they because you get to look back at your dumb stupid self and all the 
silly cringe universal choices that we make of like crushing on people and like you know eating sweets getting overwhelmed and thinking that it's the end of the world but it's not stuff like that yeah it's weird when you like because I, I tried writing a show about something and I was like I think I'm okay with this and then you go back to it and you're like oh my god I wasn't um and it's a it's a weird realization isn't it yeah I think um, that's a really good point with stand-up I think there's lots of that as well like I think it's interesting that we steered I don't know if you feel this but like steer towards the stuff that's like you know you can talk about on stage most of the stuff you feel ready to laugh at right or poke fun at yourself at or poke fun at the situation or whatever that tends to be a lot of us like you know the things we want to examine and look at are the things that we're we're ready to but I think sometimes yeah it can be hard to go to those other places things that feel a bit more cringe but it is fun to laugh at everything I think so I'm not ruling it out like I've got some fun stories about knocking on the doors of like you know the BMP and stuff like that and like I just I do think that it is hilarious that we were kind of like kids trying to convert <laughs> these racists like <laughs> it was just like would you like to join our religion like just so sincere and so sweet and so hopeless and we didn't really understand why people were hostile and I actually think in spite of all of the kind of racist undertones like there is a lot of human connectedness that's kind of quite amusing as well that you realize that that's there regardless of what people believe yeah so how, how long were you knocking on doors how like because I know the Mormons they get sent you get like sent to do it for a set amount of time or is it is, is it the same for Jehovah's Witnesses or is it just you kind of do it indefinitely as long as you stay in the religion oh. and I, I left in my teenage years so for, yeah probably the most most of my childhood, I was doing it from when I was really small. I'd have to go out and talk to people on doors. So I think that's probably why I don't feel as scared as one should when you're doing stand-up. Because I'm just like, I've already not had doors slammed in my face by people just trying to tell them about the impending apocalypse. So <laughs> it doesn't feel as rejecting in lots of ways. But um, yeah, for a good part of a good chunk of my life, really, I was I was doing that. And then teenage years are the most awkward. I think that's why I really started to turn against it. And actually, it wasn't the religion. It was wearing a skirt that really upset me. Right. Yeah. <laughs> was, that, was that very much a deal breaker? That was it, really. It was like, I'm just like, yeah, OK, I'll knock on doors and I'll say the script. But do I have to do it whilst wearing this disgusting skirt? <laughs> God damn it. No. <laughs> oh, wow. I mean, would you say that that was one of your worst jobs, jobs, if you will, or if you had, if you had other worst jobs? What's your worst job? What was my worst job? Yeah, that's what I was saying. Um, oh, there's so many. Like, I've done so many trash things. And I've gone back to Swindon, where I grew up a lot, at points where, you know, there wasn't any work. Like, um, I do always laugh. So I keep rejection letters from stuff that I get. And I do think that it always makes me laugh that I've got. I think I found it a few years ago, a rejection letter from Tesco's in Swindon, where I'd just come out of school and they wouldn't let me be a checkout girl because they say I didn't have enough experience. And now I'm regularly in Tesco's using a self-service checkout. And I think, I'm really fucking good at this. Like, screw you. <laughs> how like, dare you? How dare you reject me? Um but no, so I went back to Swindon a lot when things were hard in like, because I moved to Bristol and that's where I sort of had my independent life and I was at um, circus school there. And I had like some part-time jobs and paper rounds and I'd worked a lot, but like um, I used to go back to Swindon to try and do bits of work around 
studying to just make money and agencies were really bad that's where I'd go so I'd go to agencies and get shopped out for different stuff and I remember once working in the Honda factory in Swindon which sounds cool right because it's cars but we very flat stamp I know right like you imagine me in like some kind of boiler suit like welding yeah, I would love that feeling <laughs> what a feeling but it was so not that basically we had to like wear hair nets and boots and we um oh this was it our manager was like this 12 year old who was really obnoxious this really kind of spotty teenage boy and I remember it because we we were cleaning kitchens we were essentially kitchen porters but we weren't allowed to clean trays we were allowed to clean the thing that the trays went on and that was our level of responsibility we weren't allowed to coffee break and we got told off for having those and then I remember the colleague that I worked with this amazing Polish girl she was so funny and I still think about her all the time Catherine because she would regularly talk to me about how she's like should we quit should we quit she was trying to convince me to quit and she I still think about her because we had this really intense conversation intense relationship where she'd every day we were doing shifts and she'd be like I'm doing I'm gonna do it today I'm gonna quit today I'm gonna go up to that teenage boy and I'm gonna quit (laughs) and then she was like and she's like have you ever considered being a dominatrix and I was like what and then she because we were quite young we must have been teenagers and then she was like and she was like I'm gonna do it like I found this place where you do it she's like you don't have to fuck them you just have to be mean to them she was like imagine being mean to men and getting money and in my head I couldn't stop thinking about it and I was just like oh maybe that's that's how you do it like maybe that's how you get house and I still think about her because I hope that she is badassing it as a dominatrix somewhere that's all I can say yeah because that I mean when you put it like that it sounds ideal doesn't it yeah well this is it because I questioned her and I was like are you sure you don't have to do stuff because like that was the thing that creeped me out I was like are you sure you don't have to do stuff I was like well, you mean you can just scream at them and like be mean or get them to like drink from a bowl or whatever and she was just like okay maybe you have to suck them off and then I was like no <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you do either do you but I think there are some places I think there are some places where you can just be mean. And then when you put it like that, I'm like, that's a good place to get out your rage. Like, yeah. And earn money while you're doing it. It totally makes sense. Like, yeah, like one of those, do they call them rage rooms where there's just a whole bunch of stuff and they're like, here is some goggles and here is a bat. Have fun. And you just smash it. Oh my God, do they exist? I thought that was just in those weird indie films. Like teenagers go off and do that somewhere in, in those kind of long drawn out scenes but there's a real space I would love to do that yeah yeah because uh, I, I did a gig across the road from one and I was like oh I bet that's a testosterone filled environment and they're like no it's all women <laughs> I wonder why <laughs> untapped female rage that's the real I mean they should do that instead of solar I think like that would run the world yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, there's too much power <laughs> Turn it down. (laughs) So how long were you at Honda for? Oh, like, so with the agency, you do, like, random stuff for periods of months. So I don't know, maybe, like, a month or so. That was proper, like, zero-hour contract. Like, you'd get placed there for a little bit until until it ran out. And then I did other stuff, like, working at other car dealerships. Because Swindon's really, like, I mean, that's its main sort of industry. And I worked at a Maserati dealership, but I was, like, a receptionist. And it was the most toxic environment I've ever been in like like it was like just one long episode of Top Gear (laughs) just and then you on reception trying to get through that like (laughs) 
sounds appalling. It is um, appalling, yeah. Uh, who were the worst? Who, who made it most toxic? It was just like, oh, when people, and I remember this from when I was a waitress as well. So you should, like, I sound like a maniac, right? Like I'm making up these jobs. But what you should know about me, Catherine, is that I was a dancer before I did stand up. And so when you go into a dance career, what you're essentially saying is I'm going to try and pay for my future with pirouettes. And that doesn't work. Yeah. Um, so you have to do other jobs so whilst dancing I did all these other kind of crazy things to try and financially support myself through dance training and physical stuff and um, yeah I remember waitressing and also in that place as well I would make a lot of coffee at the car dealership and when I would put a drink down in front of a man he would say well done good girl and it made me want to burn things (laughs) That that's like the worst four words that you can say. Yeah, it, it'd be better if they said nothing at all. Well, just thank you would be fine, wouldn't it? Like, why do you have to say "well done"? Like, is there anything more patronising? It's like, yes, you know how to make coffee. Congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> like, maybe if it was a child, so oh wow, wow, you're five and you made a a Starbucks bread coffee. Well done. <laughs> well done. Yeah. So strange, the things that you get rewarded for. So, yeah, I remember those sort of like slightly subtly degrading, dehumanising things where you're like, you just have to kind of serve these people and be be invisible. Have you ever done waitressing or silver service? Yes, yes. I have been a waitress my entire life, pretty much. Um, yeah, I think hard, still, silver service is like, I remember that being quite exciting. Like there was times where I miss. Like I went and did waitressing again not that long ago when I was like back in Bristol and like there is a buzz to it but maybe I'm kind of like a buzzy person I think physical stuff I quite like and then you sit down and you've got that throb that throb in your head and that satisfaction but I remember working in this cafe in Bristol where again like this really like industrious like incredible kitchen stuff and like we used to have this bin out the back that I'm pretty sure like was a symbolic of our insides it was just full of like red bull and cigarettes <laughs> it was so disgusting and I, I still think about that bin and I'm like yeah we were rotten inside but we were having fun and we we used to like play games and stuff to get through shifts and they'd always play like really intense Polish hip-hop in the kitchen and and then I remember this really fun devastating day where we looked at one of the menus and we realized like it was kind of like a middle-classy type restaurant that people were paying more for burgers than we were getting for an hourly rate like a burger cost more than we did and we were like that was just a moment of like somberness (laughs) yeah it's um it is a very degrading profession isn't it it's like it's designed to, to to just destroy you but you know I've heard in Australia that they they pay people better like that you can in certain parts of the world for like being a barista or being a waitress you can earn like a living a living wage and I think that's the issue with it is like it was that shock of like oh my god we don't earn enough like if I'd really taken that in I would have poured more gravy down people's backs when I was doing silver service you know when you have to carry <laughs> and like it's really you've got, you've got to like like all these weird little rules when you would do hotel silver service that used to fuck me off I've had a grown woman scream at me about the way that jam labels were faced and <laughs> can you imagine how wonderful it would be for that to be your concern in life yeah it's like they have to be south facing so that when the clients come in 
that the jam is like readable to them and stuff and so they break the seal and I was thinking they're not thinking about that I was like this couple are clearly on the verge of a divorce like they're not thinking about the jam <laughs> like <laughs> it was so funny oh geez so was it always um agency or that you were waitressing or did you uh do it for specific places as well I mainly did agency work for a lot of the time, but then when I was a student at dance school in Cornwall, which was an insane time of my life, I look back at some things I've done and I'm like, how energetic, like, especially now that we're in lockdown and I'm like, I send an email and have a nap. Like, <laughs> and it's just like, I used yeah. to do these shifts where I dance for like eight hours a day at uni. And then because I had to work because I, I wasn't getting much money and I was supporting myself, I'd literally go to the toilet, get out of my leotard, spray myself with loads of deodorant and dry shampoo and put on a waistcoat with a little fish on it for the flying fish restaurant, seafood restaurant okay. and hotel on the seafront of Falmouth in Cornwall. And I'd go and I would, yeah, I'd do really bad waitressing. Like, and they, they had strict rules as well of like, you've got to like give it over the left and take, clear it from the right and stuff like that. And I was always getting it wrong. And I would often walk over to the table in the middle of like people having breakdowns and like, it was insane. <laughs> I do remember this couple once, they were so funny where I think she was like, well, you would say that, wouldn't you? And like about this woman that, that that he was talking about, and he was like, "Because you want to fuck her." And I was like, "Do you want the lemon posset?" Oh, <laughs> <laughs> can I come back? <laughs> yeah, that's the yeah, You're still there with burning hands. Like, which one of you is having the hot chocolate thing? <laughs> Please, um, <laughs> so hot. <laughs> How? Like, how long were the shifts? Because that sounds like a horribly long day. Oh, it was insane. I mean, I've done stuff where you've done back-to-back stuff and you... God, I just don't think I really slept for a lot of that time. Like, um, And then sometimes you do split shifts on the weekends. So you do breakfast service and lunch service because you'd get double pay or whatever. Um, and we'd work over, like, Christmas and holidays because they'd feed you and it would be really fun. And sometimes you'd get a room at the hotel. So, like, again, there was, like, a real family feeling and we all loved each other and we'd steal so much food. <laughs> like, so we were well fed. But, yeah, we, we pretty much lived there. Like, so when I wasn't at, at, at uni, I was there. And similarly, when I went back to Swindon one time to save to go travelling, and I went to go travelling to India, and it was so dumb because... <laughs> I worked in this call center to save my money for India and um, it was terrible. It was for like a le- luxury leather goods brand in a warehouse in Swindon. And I did that in the day. And then I used to come home, eat like brown rice and cabbage. And then I'd cycle to a rock pub in town. And I used to, I mean, I loved that job to be fair. And I'd work in this rock pub until three in the morning Yeah. to save my money for my yoga teacher training. That's what I did. And I basically just had glandular fever for about six months. <laughs> but I did listen to some of the best metal music around well at least in the Wiltshire area so that was yeah I think that there's um, a sort of family vibe with bar work too like you say I suppose all the hostel industries where you're just in terrible conditions but have to weather the storm it's it's sad isn't it that it that is what brings people closer definitely because you're kind of just getting through it together like the you've got all these weird camaraderie and language that you make like we used to all do some kind of weird dance or scream when people would give us a tip and stuff like that and like <laughs> just have dumb stuff that you do t- 
to get through that. I mean, I do sometimes worry about people that I sort of romanticize that I was working with. And I'm like, is this just because I'm exhausted and there's literally no one else that I'm in contact with? <laughs> and so it's just like, oh, you really get on. <laughs> well, who's <he was> very available. <laughs> yeah. And it's just like, do we get on or are we both just trapped? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. um, it's hard to tell. Yeah, it is really hard to tell. But um, no, I did like that job. The only time, the only thing that would piss me off is like at the end of shifts like that. So like when you're a barista, I remember the end of clearing down coffee places was really intense because you'd have to do the toilets too. And the same in the rock pub. And there was just always like cleaning the men's toilets is, I mean, I've done, I've done a lot of just cleaning jobs. And to be honest, cleaning itself is great of a standard office building. I used to do that with my mum when we were kids. She would take us into town in the evenings and we'd clean offices. And I thought my mum was like, basically one of the sopranos I was like my mum has the keys to all of these office buildings in central Swindon so (laughs) guys just watch out (laughs) like I thought like we owned them because we used to just have so much fun in there like hanging out with Henry Hoover's like having races with my sister to do stuff like it was basically the gym but like more dusty and (laughs) but when you clean toilets of like a drinking establishment like that was next level like I think I deserve a badge for some of the things that I experienced in that in that toilet like that is so insane but I think if cleaning paid more right and I could listen to my own music and it was cleaning something not booze related like offices I would do that job now for money because it is actually I don't know maybe it feeds a part of my soul I don't know if you have this but like just the sense of satisfaction because it's like it's really easy and it's, you just do it like it's done and the, the end product is everything is clean <laughs> yeah yeah you can uh the results of your work are immediately uh, <laughs> apparent and then you just do it again yeah I think it's uh it's, it's a good job I've, I've been cleaning it's it's just it's the it, it's weird that it's the uh sort of hierarchy thing but it, it's somehow at the bottom I don't understand why no, because I loved it so much. I used to clean sometimes other people's houses, like especially sometimes they'd throw that in as part of the deal to get a bit more money when you're like babysitting and stuff. And I remember like really enjoying it. Like it's basically like, yeah. and also you get a snoop around someone else's house and you put on music and you clean stuff. Like I like, I tend to like things where you have jobs where you have autonomy, you know, there's not someone watching you. Because I would say that the call centre actually I'm doubling back now and I think it might change my mind. I do think that a call center might be one of the worst jobs I've ever done. And that was because we had a headset and literally it would ring once and then you're speaking to someone. Why would you do that to anyone? Like I jump out of my skin when someone calls me now and I can see who it is and it's someone I know. Like, so that was really intense. And also, like, we'd have timed toilet breaks, which I think should be illegal. Like, I don't know how like it was so intense that you weren't allowed to leave your desk and then because and then because the calls would just continuously come through I'm like I'm gonna get a bladder infection whilst trying to get you through this payment transaction on this call so yeah that was probably one of the toughest jobs I think psychologically because you're just sort of glued to a chair having to talk to people and we had these signs oh this was it It was so stupid we had to have a sign that said yes because I kept saying yeah and I was going to get in so much trouble like a disciplinary because you're not allowed to say yeah because it's I don't know why like it's common or it's bad language so we'd have all these signs on the wall of stuff we had to say and so it says yes and I'm like trying not to piss myself oh my god that's so bleak because it's like it's just a treadmill isn't it you can't take it off it so what how long was your toilet break I think you got like it had to be less than three minutes 
three. Yeah. I was thinking it was going to be like ten. No. What happens? What happens if you've got like a, a banging shit brewing? How do you, do the calls just start coming back through after three? <laughs> so like, Hello? <laughs> Hello? They put them through to the toilet so they can hear what's going. No, I mean, yeah. yeah. yeah insane like three minutes well no because it was just considered dodgy and it's that watching it's that surveillance culture that I don't like and this is one of the reasons why I hate admin and I've done temp stuff and they call it office angels but it's should they're not angels they are devils and I remember office angels and swindlers can go fuck themselves like I had some of the worst times of my life um Read were kind of bad, but like admin, like, I'm sorry, because there's probably going to be people doing admin listening, but it does make me want to die. Like, it is so hard because it's the observational culture. It's that. It's like everybody watching everybody in that environment and feeling pleased in your behaviours. Like, that's probably the thing I don't like about that type of work the most. Yeah. Yeah. And then enforcing sort of rules that aren't yours and people getting angry and you're like, I agree, friend. It's shit. politics about stupid stuff I remember temping for this place for a small while they were like I don't know some kind of digital agency and I was a receptionist and I was like learning stuff I didn't know what it was and this woman came over to me and was like getting really aggy and she was like so and so is like this and in my head I was thinking okay just act like a therapist and just be like "Hmm, and how does that make you feel like just letting her let it out because she wanted to vent and then like for about half an hour she spoke to me about how she thought it was abominable that the succulents matched some green thing that were in the office. And in my head, I was thinking like, you really need someone to kiss you or fuck you. You need something (laughs) in your life because you cannot care that much about a succulent plant in your office. Like that is, that is insane. Um, No, but you've got past barely noticing it, that it should just be a thing that you're like, oh, that is there. Yeah. But it's that kind of stuff where, like, it starts to grate on you or it becomes your world so much where it's like they'll be like, oh, so-and-so's moved desk and, like, you know, that's a big deal or the politics of that. And I'm just like, I, I, I really had to work incredibly hard to look like I cared in admin. And I think that's maybe why I struggle with it. Because <laughs> it doesn't have people at the heart of it, like what we were talking about in the beginning. In, in my eyes, like, it is that kind of mad bureaucracy like whereas at least with service jobs there is that human connectedness like even if it wasn't like the NHS or social work stuff which I loved I've worked a lot with kids and things like that because they they take a lot from you but they're also giving too and I even felt that in food service industries like there would be sometimes you'd get rude customers but you'd also get people who absolutely loved you for giving them a good time and serving them food and you know you were getting that level of interaction and connection from the work which is nice. Yeah, I suppose it's nice to um, to be doing something where you're just making people's day a little bit better. Definitely. As opposed to, to making strangers richer, there's no benefit to yourself. Yeah, you made that point in the beginning, and I've been thinking about that a lot, actually, of like how hard we work to like make other people wealthy, and then like you're the last to earn. And I think that's a big thing that meant that I had the courage to take the risk to try and do something that I wanted to do, and to be self-employed when, like, you know... I'm working class. I've got no family support and it's a really stupid thing to do to be self-employed. <laughs> You've got like no holiday pay, no sick pay. It's terrifying all the time. Like, will there, will there be more work? Will I have to go back and, you know, fish out a pair of boxes from a, from a nightclub toilet again? Will I have to do that? You know, it's constantly on my mind, but 
I think I had the courage to do it because I felt like, you know, I'm, I've worked so hard for like decades and ever since I was a teenager for making someone else wealthy mainly and then just kind of just getting by and not really having enough. So after a while, it starts to feel like it's worth the risk to see if you could do you could do something else, you know, and at least then you wouldn't have someone breathing down your neck or someone advising you to spank an, an old man for money. <laughs> 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 yeah absolutely that's a good but yeah it's um it's it's a brave thing to do isn't it to put yourself first like that and be like you know actually I'm going to do what makes me happy and there's so much worth in being able to um do your own thing and follow your own destiny if you know what I mean yeah I miss colleagues I miss colleagues sometimes I miss like definitely that camaraderie of like other people going through stuff with you because when you're self-employed the work becomes very lonely but what I have now is like I have a lot of whatsapp groups of other women who are running businesses and like that's really cool so like friends of mine one of my friends she's a self-employed personal trainer she's also done quite well during this time because she does a lot of work with like mothers and a lot of them had issues with childcare. so now they can train with her and do classes while their kids in the room and so I think when you're looking at those positives another friend of mine she left the arts completely we used to dance together and now she's a doula I'm like, I have no idea what that is, but it's something to do with babies. <laughs> but like, so what's cool is I feel like there's a bunch of us who've kind of hit our 30s and been like, do you know what, fuck this, we want to try. I mean, what's the point? We're not necessarily winning in this other system either. We're still getting short changed and not feeling you know getting ill all the time basically was a big part of a lot of our changes but like why not yeah. you know feel like we've got more work-life balance and try and start our own businesses and so there is a bit of support in that group about kind of you know some of the boring bits of the work or challenging things we help each other with like understanding tax or doing your websites and you know not having yeah. people to go for drinks with and stuff like that so hopefully we'll all be um embarrassing 30 something women drinking margaritas after lockdown being like (laughs) (laughs) that sounds great though it's it's really nice that you um that support network exists and that it's been able to form yeah and I would really recommend it to anybody else who has gone self-employed or thinking of going self-employed or trying to be self-employed during this time if they have lost their mainstream job through other things so I basically was working with kids at the start of lockdown and that whole because it was like a community group it was connected to a community center I mean obviously everything group related shut so I lost my job was on universal credit and then was like shit what am I going to do and found another way but I do think that yeah if you are self-employed there are networks of other people doing cool stuff and ways that you can meet other people so you can feel that you've got that colleague type thing where you can go oh my god I'm really struggling with this at work like you don't have to be like alone which I think is really nice um office gossip is not as good obviously (laughs) basically I've killed all the plants again and it's like no one else to blame (laughs) I did it in anger (laughs) rage will run the world I think I want that to be the takeaway of our chat Catherine is that female rage will run the world if you let it (laughs) (laughs) and if you don't uh, it's still there (laughs) <laughs> yeah fair point we don't need permission <laughs> I've got to stop asking <laughs> <laughs> what's the worst thing that you've uh, fished out of the uh the, the nightclub toilets then the, the bar toilet well the boxes were really memorable because I don't think yeah. in my life I've ever thought you know I've had an accident I'm gonna lose my pants as well and just leave them here like that is yeah. because in my head I was thinking what type of person like I know that they've left without them <laughs> it's just like, yeah. it's like so 
insane um yeah you find a lot of kind of weird disgusting things I think sometimes we oh my god this was an insane job that I used to have I can't even believe I did this so when I had nowhere to live for a while and I was like sort of sofa surfing I also used to do cat sitting for the lesbian elite now I didn't even know that that was a job but there's a lot of (laughs) lesbian women with cats and um yeah in the queer community and so I did that and I looked after this couple's cat (laughs) and seriously Catherine this cat was like treated nicer than most humans like this couple was so wealthy so I got to stay in this lovely flat for two weeks while they were on holiday and I was looking after this cat but then I was looking at the cat food that they were asking me to buy for it and they left me money and stuff but it was like it had like real prime organic chicken in it and stuff that I wasn't eating it's like I'm eating cabbage and this cat is on the prime stuff I'm like, maybe I should eat the cat food um but it was a princess and it was tight it's like slightly traumatized and so the cat started going psycho when they went away and being really weird and I thought I was going to lose it but no that isn't what happened shit gate happened and the cat basically had a meltdown in the flat shat everywhere over loads of their designer clothes Oh my God. And I had exactly 48 hours to get my friends round. And I do remember, I think we played Eye of the Tiger. (laughs) And I I think I wore a bandana mask. I really hope they don't listen to this. And we, we had to like, basically like sticky roller, all of the clothes. We had to clean stuff. We had to steam things. I was so worried that like, I was going to have to replace these really expensive designer clothes because the cat went mental and shat everywhere and destroyed everything. It was so stressful. Um, But yeah, so that's a memorable one. Luckily, I just about got away with it. I think there was some fur on the clothes that they still complained about, but not shit. That sounds like the beginning of like, I don't know, the hangover, (laughs) a film, doesn't it? (laughs) 48 hours to get this shit off these clothes. (laughs) yeah it was really it was so intense I mean yeah really stressful thank god for friends and being supportive and people who came to to help me because obviously I I felt I was living my sex in the city dreams for two weeks I'm like I'm in this plush flat but the downside there's always a catch with work and this is what I've learned about life in general and employment is that like you know you're always going to pay in some way whether that's cat shit whether that's boxes down the toilet whether that's (laughs) listening to a really long conversation about succulents you know, and even now, like, I love my work, but the challenges are, like, motivating yourself, learning how to do a tax return, no sick pay or holiday pay. So, like, if you want time off, it's, like, you've got to pay for it. So, like, there's always a catch, basically. Um, but hopefully, ideally, the catch is not a psychopathic cat. How did it How did it get the fit on the clothes? Were they in a wardrobe? Did it yeah. climb into a drum? Yeah. So it, 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 it used to hide in there because it became so scared because it only liked its mothers. So when I was feeding it, she wouldn't come out and eat unless I wasn't there. And so I spent the rest of the time hiding in the wardrobe. And I mean, also like the fattest cat ever, like insane. To be fair, I think I would be the fattest cat ever if I was getting fed like that. I know, like full on Waitrose, like Waitrose cat food. I mean, I don't know anybody who even, you know, someone someone in the world must do their big shop in Waitrose, but like, who the fuck is that guy? Like, I mean, occasionally you'll get some biscuits from Waitrose if you go into like a house party or something and you want to show up. <laughs> like, <laughs> I think the only time I ever bought anything was in a Waitrose was when I was doing labouring work on like, uh, it was, um, uh, you know, an industrial estate that's just fucking miles away from everything. Oh. And the only shop within like a 15 minute radius was a waitrose. And it's like, 
buy some food now, I'll be hungry for eight hours. <laughs> well, yeah, that's the, puff. <laughs> that's the that's the business plan of every little chef up and down the country, wasn't it? For yeah. a long time, or anything at the road service station is like you're trapped. This is here. You have to eat this. <laughs> you end up getting like a really expensive M and S sandwich, and you're just like ah. Um, but yeah, I forget you do did labouring, and like that's one thing that I haven't. I've done a lot of different jobs, but I'm not very handsy, so I don't think I would ever get away with something like that. So, do you actually work on a building site? Oh, it was just like lifting things into lorries, but it, I wasn't very good at it. Was it like breeze blocks and stuff? No, it was theatre equipment. Ah, uh, very heavy and uh, very sexy. Wasn't it? Is it? Is it what they say? Like, I've got a mate, like a um, a queer a queer guy who worked on a building site, and he said he had to leave as well because he said, "What was it?" I think he went to go and yawn and stretch, and he wanted to do some stretching and limbering up before he picked something up, and they called him gay. <laughs> and he was just like, "It's not gay to stretch." <laughs> <laughs> oh, what you don't you don't want to get a back injury? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's insane. Well, what they'd do is they would give all of the light things when they were handing it down off the lorry to men. And you'd be like, come on, dickhead, I'm here. Give me something. And then they'd just be like, here's the heaviest item on the lorry. And then you'd struggle with it. And they'd be like, look, see, women can't carry stuff. They tried to give me a sofa to carry up a spiral staircase on my own. And I'm like, you can't do this on your own. Oh, my God. (laughs) That's so awful. It sounds like a terrible sort of alternative version of the generation game where there's just stuff coming out of a skip and then you have to like go round and round and see who can carry it. But like, yeah, I do find stuff like that really stressful. I wouldn't be good at handsy things. I've got some friends who live on boats in London that are super cool like because they have to do so much maintenance on their own homes. Like they learn like just all these chicks who know how to fucking saw and use power tools and like have axes and stuff hanging around. And I'm just like really scared about going to the toilet on their boat like I'm so hopeless I'm just like um, what do I do again is it safe um yeah I've been a bit sort of domesticated in that sense I w- and then that's a shame because I would really love to be a bit more handsy or learn those skills but it's kind of a shame because we didn't really we did get design technology at school where you'd sort of like I remember putting something in a vice but that's yeah. about it that was the end of it <laughs> Yeah, hopefully just put it in advice and then, then it's just there I mean but I didn't learn the rest of it no did they ever do that thing where they like segregated the sexes for it as well the DT at your school what's the se- what do you mean segregate them what like so the the girls do the the cooking and the and the textiles and the maybe this is what happened maybe that's why I only remember the vice because I remember the vice being a really fun contraption I wanted to learn more about that and then I remember baking bread a lot so yeah maybe that was it was a sexist thing I think we did have to try and make a spice rack and then after that they stopped but I was like why stop at spice rack I could make more unstable things (laughs) I've made a lot more (laughs) unstable things (laughs) (laughs) But no, I'd love to have skills like that to be able to do practical stuff. Like I really want to learn. Um, that's another job I haven't had that I always crush on girls who have this job. So there's a really cute girl who I hope still exists because I want to ask her out when we come out of this. Um, <laughs> at Look Mum No Hands, it's like a bike shop in um, in Hackney and she, and she does bike maintenance and I am in love with her. <laughs> but like... Um, it's just so cool, isn't it, to know how to fix things yourself and not need 
someone else to do it like my bike right now like needs pumping and I want to ride it again but because the nozzle doesn't fit I'm just I'm just not riding it (laughs) like I should just figure out how to do that like that is a total learned helplessness helplessness issue like I'm sure there's a teenager on YouTube actually I should probably just watch and learn how to do it see that's my issue though with YouTube everyone's like just go on YouTube and every time I go because the kind of rental properties that I live in, I don't know about you, they're not items that is common to YouTube fixing tutorials. Like, you know, I I had a boiler that needed bleeding or some shit. And, and it was like, oh, it's easy. You just turn this valve. But like our landlord had rerouted it and you had to take a big panel off the wall and shit. And it was like illegal, almost certainly illegal. Well, <laughs> like, this I'd love to- if I just twisted it, I'd have killed us all. Yeah, no, don't do that. This is where it's dangerous, actually. And this is where, no, I'm so glad you're saying this because I felt like I was being really lazy there and I was just sort of like trying to do like helpless girl thing. But there is an issue with DIY, isn't there? Because it's like that could have been horrific. You just gas everything. And so like there is an element of DIY and I love this. I always wish someone was watching me because I basically don't know how to use my phone. I'm, it's horrific. And so I'm always going on YouTube of like, how do I do this on a Huawei phone? And then like, and then they'll be doing something. And then I'm looking at it. I'm like, it doesn't have that thing. Like, and then I realize I've chosen the wrong module. So like, they've got to do step-by-step processes. And I realized the reason I haven't pumped my bike is basically because it's the wrong nozzle. And when I do go on YouTube, it says that you need a different thing so that it fits. And it's like, you haven't told me where to get that though. So like, there's, like an, yeah. there's steps missing, like from these kind of tutorials and it can backfire horrifically. I'm so glad you didn't gas your housemates but yeah we've got really old rickety place like one of the most exciting things to happen to us in lockdown is um we had a mouse like a really cute mouse sort of start appearing everywhere because there's so many fucking holes in this house and we haven't met anybody in so long that like I started singing to it I gave it a name I was like guys we've got a new housemate and they're like stop calling it that (laughs) (laughs) I just wanted a pet (laughs) (laughs) it's like that's when you realize you've been alone too long and you're like nigel's here again guys and they're like who's nigel i'm like the mouse (laughs) (laughs) he's shat in my complex don't give him a name (laughs) so ridiculous i worked in a gym in archway that was a job that i did for ages that i wouldn't do again like i mean maybe i would uh i think it's called la fitness in finchley actually It's beyond Archway. It's even further. I cycle. I used to cycle from like South London to North London back in the day. I just can't imagine doing that now. But like, um, I would have to open the gym at 6am. So I'd have to be awake pre 6am, which is also a hilarious concept to me now. It's like, what the fuck are you talking about? It's like a struggle to get to my desk for 10am. Um, but like, yeah, you'd have to open the gym. And, and the thing that I found about that job was all of the... Again, it was a weird toxic masculinity, but like, to be honest, I still feel sorry for those guys. And I think they need a hug, like a really buffed hug, because there was a lot of dudes there that were like bodybuilders, basically. And they had some of some of the most beautiful and pristine aesthetics imaginable and some of the most miserable and insecure people I'd ever met in my life. Like in terms of like, you know dating and romance but also like timers going off you know I've got to go into the back room and have my cottage cheese now and like like that level of living where you're like oh if a timer is telling you when to eat cottage cheese that's when maybe maybe it's like is the lifestyle worth it like do you care that much about abs that you want to eat cottage cheese on a timer (laughs) (laughs) oh man yeah I was like I think that when you look at a body you're like 
you look beautiful, but I cannot put the work in for that at all. It really is, and loads of effort. And like they would do stuff. Like there was this one guy; he had this um, carton of something called two chicks, and it's basically egg whites that he would drink, and he wouldn't have anything yeah. else. I'm like, first of all, that would make me gag. Like, and then and then they like starve themselves, and they don't even have water, so they have a lot of caffeine and these green tea supplements, and no water just before they do the day days where they bronze themselves up and they do all the. Yeah. and um so that all everything sort of pops out and that's how they get the vein popping stuff is from dehydration and so that everything oh. sort of extends and I was just like this sounds exhausting <laughs> but is the uh the sort of gym I I always thought it might be a bit of a sexist kind of toxic thing is it or is it kind of equal because I know that they were really sweet as well and it's really interesting that you say that because they would be kind of protective, the fitness guys. Sleazy and protective was the vibe that you would get. It's like if you lean over too far <laughs> over something, they are going to comment on what something looks like. But then they would also just be really sweet to you as well. And occasionally soft and tell you that, like, you know, or they can't really talk to their girlfriend. And then you'd be like, oh, there's so many layers underneath all of those, like <laughs> all of this bulging muscle man or something else. But I find it really funny because you brought that up. And in my head, I just remembered that I had a big dispute with my boss at that gym and it's interesting that the two times that I've been underpaid for my work and exploited yeah. like actively legally exploited in legal terms where I've had to fight to get paid have been by two women bosses who were paying the men more than the women wow yeah was that what what professions were there? So in the gym that happened and I had to go back through all of my payslips. We had this big meeting. She proper gaslit me and made me feel like a massive idiot. And then I like sought help and like went through all of my stuff. And I was like, no, she's like, they're not, they're not paying me what the hours that I've done. Um, yeah. And I ended up fighting it and getting the money back and it was fine. And then she did apologize to me in the end, but it was the way that she treated me throughout the whole process. And it was just kind of like, I don't think you would have done that with anybody that, you felt more intimidated by and then there was another admin job that I did um in Bristol when I was at circus school I worked in like this awful recruitment agency and uh the woman there was actually a tribunal after I left because another woman discovered as well that she'd been paying all of the women less than the men and herself like a tasty amount as the manager and I'm just like, wow. But then this is interesting, isn't it? Because it's not really gender. I think it's like toxic power structures that you sort of, you know, you basically um, congratulate corruption in society. And then, you know, then it makes people want to go after it, right? Because it's kind of every man for himself and having money. And Yeah. I, I was going to say, because do, do you think that it was uh, sexism or that it was just that she thought she could get away with it with women? Well, now you mention it, I do remember even at the yoga studio that I worked at, there was a woman in head office who, I think she worked in the marketing department or something. And um, she said to me a really funny thing that still rings true in my head. She was like, oh, I prefer, because we had, a, there was like a male head of the business. He was like a former lawyer who set up this uh, yoga, corporate yoga <laughs> studio stuff that did really well. Um, but he, she said, oh, I prefer, I, I've come from sports and now I work in this environment. She said, I prefer working with men bosses. They're just simpler and more direct and less emotional. And she said that to me um, and how she preferred it. And I just kind of felt like I do think that there is an, an ingrained sex that runs through women too in the workplace to turn on ourselves and then to turn on each other because essentially like 
I've seen a lot of toxicity, especially around senior female leaders, if they're going through um, the menopause or anything, really, like their, their behaviour just is attributed in a really different way, isn't it? Like, so that's hence all the, you know, I don't know about you, but I've done a lot of crying in toilets in my time. And I think that's because thou shalt not show weakness <laughs> in the public domain at work, which is awful, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, that that's it, isn't it? Um, I, I agree with you completely. I think that uh, we're mid to infight and not just all go, hang on a minute, <laughs> and then work together to make it better. And it's really sad, isn't it? Really. Yeah, work together to make it better. But I also think it's really important to say that I think work work should embrace the way that women's up, women are and not force yeah. them to be something that they're not. Because I think it's easy to antagonise women when they're trying to play a role that they can't live up to or fulfill and 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 that's not to put one as one in, inferior or superior they're just different at the end of the day what women experience physiologically and mentally and also their ways of operating and energetically might be different it's like why not work with that and see that as a powerful thing why not let you know the the rage of the menopause fuel your business into the future <laughs> you know my premenstrual rage can achieve astronomical results you know and I wish I could put that on my CV but I'm not allowed (laughs) yeah frowned upon (laughs) frowned upon to talk about it and say actually you know I might retreat at this time but I also might be explosive and brilliant and shiny and amazing at this time you know if we could just work with natural cycles I mean men also I'm convinced from working with them for long periods of time have their own natural cycles they could do with listening to (laughs) yeah of course they do but that would be, you know, as gay as stretching or lifting a heavy thing, wouldn't it? Yeah, exactly. I'm sure they want to take a break because that must be exhausting as well, holding up this idea that you're just fine all the time. I think they definitely need that screamy smashing room to go into. They probably need a crying room, a stretching room. (laughs) Yeah, do it. It's fine. It's great. (laughs) So, um... I, I think you're talking about circus school. Tell us about circus school. That sounds really cool. Yeah, so I trained at circus school when I was 16. I mean, that's how I left Swindon, really, is because I had a drama teacher. You always hear about good drama teachers, and there's something to that stereotype and that trend. Um, but yeah, he knew this guy from circus school. I was a bit of a sort of wayward teen going off the rails, and he gave me this leaflet for Circomedia in Bristol and was like, you should go here. I think this would be great for you. And um I went down to Bristol on my own on a bus at like 16 and auditioned for circus school. And do you know what? It was the worst audition. <laughs> I wouldn't have accepted me, but they must have seen something. I think, to be honest, it probably was humour even then. And that's why I think it's funny that I've ended up doing what I'm, what I'm doing now, but like in a roundabout way, because I was shit at juggling. I was shit at aerial and I was shit at acrobatics, which are the three things that you have to do in the audition. But what (laughs) I did do was I laughed and made a joke out of dropping the balls all the time when I couldn't juggle. And then I laughed about how I was getting on the trapeze and I laughed, you know, and I made a thing of it. And I think there was enough there that they gave me a shot. And it was like a new BTEC course that they were doing where you could do sort of the equivalent to A-levels, but at circus school was one of like the first kind of years of it. And so I moved just away from everybody that I knew, moved to Bristol on my own, started renting a room for like, I rented a room that was like a single room for like a hundred and something a month. 
in the rough part of Bristol wow. and I slept on an airbed. I didn't even have a bed, a tiny single airbed. And I had this one hanging disgusting thing that I used to shovel my clothes. And you know, it's like, they're sort of like hanging pockets and you shove your pants in there. Yeah. Like, that was it. That was all I owned. And I, I went to circus school and I lived with these stoner Irish jugglers and <laughs> I started training and I think I think it was the making of me really in terms of like most of the education that I've had has been really shit but I would say that education was phenomenal because in circus what you learn is that you suck (laughs) (laughs) and that you have to fail a lot to get good at something and that talent isn't true and that the trick is a lie you know so so the skill that you show at the end of something is what you get after failing loads and there's no way to hide or cheat that process at circus school like you don't get good at something unless you suck at it for a really long time and so I think it really changed my mindset that that helped me in all of these other crazy things that I've done but I will say um yeah, I do think that sometimes me sucking in other jobs was just me sucking in other jobs. And I, I think I've actually been told by some bosses, like, will you just leave and go and pursue your arts career? Because, like, you're not helping us. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I think we're, um, we're pretty much at our time. Uh, it's been lovely. Uh, is there anything that you would like to plug? Um I have a Kofi account if anyone wants to donate to that. And I could probably tell you what my social media stuff is. I could say that. So if you yeah. wanted to follow me and the stuff that I'm doing, I'm doing a few online gigs. I'll st- probably at some point start to do some real life gigs, but don't come to the first ones because they won't be good. Um, <laughs> but um, you can follow me on, on Instagram and Facebook. I'm at Charlie George Comedy. And then on Twitter, I'm at CG Does Comedy. Wonderful. And um, uh, thank you for, I mean, carrying uh this episode 